those was mentioned here earlier, and I'm sure at Northridge Cactus Chapel and Venue, welcome guys, uh, we're front-loading our, our service today uh, with the message more earlier than, than usual. And the reason is, is because as we cap off this series on the prodigal son, and then uh, with a special message today asking us to identify with the older son, we thought it would be really good to have a response time. Uh, during our elder fund offering as well as a few minutes after that. So let me translate that for some of you. What this means is that when I'm done preaching, don't leave. Is that clear enough? Because I, I know how some of you think. I watch you every week. Man, you move faster than you are able after I get done preaching to avoid the traffic out there and all that. And I get it. And so, but today is not that day. Uh, you'd be robbing yourself of, of our time together with the Lord, and I'm watching you. So don't leave after the uh, service. Uh, we're going to uh, continue this series, wrap it up today on the prodigal son. It's been a very meaningful uh, series for me because, as I've said all along, I have been the younger son. Uh, I'm going to identify today with the older son more than you might realize, and, uh, and I want to be the father, as we talked about last week. So I hope that resonates with you as well. And so let's bow right now and pray. God, thank you for uh, all of Jesus' stories, and uh, Lord, particularly the one we're parked in front of in this series this famous prodigal son story. And I pray, God, that as we have taken time out of our lives to gather together as the church here and at our Northridge campus, our Cactus campus, our chapel and our venue, and then those of us watching online, Father, I pray that as we all rally around your word now, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would be uh, fanned into flame in our hearts and minds as we uh, receive this story of Jesus into our lives. That's my prayer. May your spirit have sway and your way in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus, in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So here's what we all know, that out of the 40 plus stories that Jesus told, the story that we are looking at in this series is hands down the most popular one. I mean, save maybe for the story of the Good Samaritan, which is also popular, just about everybody in culture today has heard the story of the prodigal son. It's a brilliant story. It's a simple story. You know the storyline. There's this father, and he has two sons, and at one point, the younger son asks for his inheritance early, like before his father is dead, and his father gives it to him, and he goes off to a faraway land, leaves home, and he spends the entire inheritance on wine, women, and song, and then he is completely out of money. The economy goes south, and he finds himself literally in pig slop, longing to be back home with his father and his family. And so he comes home and he tries to make a deal with dad saying, hey, I, can I become one of your hired servants? And the father gets, shows this outlandish grace and says, absolutely not. And he puts the best robe and a nice ring and sandals on his son who has come home. And he says, you were lost and now you're found and welcomes him back into the family. It's a profound story of grace. And the reason Jesus told the story, as we've seen in this series, is to help us identify with how God treats us. 
that you and I are sinners from birth. We are lost. We are not close with God. And so we need to somehow come back to him. And the whole gospel of Jesus is about the fact that God has shown us grace in Jesus and that we can come home to him even though we've made a mess of our lives. It's an amazing story. And yet what gets missed so many times in this story is something that occurs toward the tail end of it, and that is the interplay between the older brother, the prodigal's older brother, and the father. I mean, in all the, uh, the focus on the runaway son who returns, many people forget Ask them sometime. They forget that there's an entire second half to this story that Jesus also wants us to include in our spiritual worldview as well. And so let's read it together, how Jesus wraps up this story without any focus really on the younger son, and you'll see what I mean. Jesus says, now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me even a goat that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, my child, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and he was lost and he has been found. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's a rather important exegetical question, how we understand this story. And that is, have you ever wondered why Jesus includes this scene in the story of the prodigal son? I mean, what is it that he's trying to communicate to us? Because when you think about it, this story could stand alone with just the first half. In fact, it's what most people remember or think about when they think of the story of the prodigal son. They don't think about what you and I just read. They think about the younger son running away, living in pig slop, coming home, receiving grace from the father. Isn't God great? And most people don't even understand or think about this second half. So why did Jesus include it and even end the story with it? And the obvious answer is that Jesus has something very powerful and very important that he wants you and me to learn here. And given where this scene occurs in the story, watch this. And the abrupt ending it has, which begs a conclusion, some argue that this second half is even more important than the first. I think it's equally as important, but at the very least, it's equally important. There's something here that Jesus wants you and me to know, likewise important about our relationship with the Lord, something that he wants us to never forget. And as I've said to you all along in this series, I am very indebted to Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, that I read 25 years ago for many of the insights I have into Jesus' story here. And this is no less true about the second half of this story having to do with the older son. 
And so here's the main point I have for you today. It's really, I think, what Jesus is getting at here in this second half of the story when it comes to you and me. And that is that with God, it is very possible to be lost while still at home. (laughs) This is going to be rich for some of us, if not most of us. Let me repeat that. When it comes to your relationship with God, what you need to know is it is very possible for you and me to be lost while we're still at home. You see, here's what we need to understand about Jesus' story here, especially the surprise ending involving this older son. Don't miss this. And that is that the older son is just as much lost as the younger son. That's really important for us to understand. We tend to think that the younger son was the one who was lost. But you see, Jesus is in the midst of telling a bunch of stories about lostness here in Luke 15, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. But it's actually two lost sons. Because if you define lost as separated from the father, distant from him and his heart, and not knowing how to come into right relationship with him, then clearly... The older brother, the older son, is just as much lost as the younger. If you don't believe me, I want you to look at some of the detail of Jesus' story here and you'll begin to see what I mean. So let's review this story a bit more slowly this time. Look at how it begins in verses 25 and 26, or the second half begins. Jesus says, now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. Now, you might be just tempted to think, well, Jesus is just painting a very typical scene here. It's not really important. What's next? Pause for a second in front of this, because Jesus is painting a scene where you have a son who's in the field, coming into the house, and engaging with the servants. You see, these are all signs and symbols of somebody who is at home, somebody who is in the presence of the Father, somebody who's experiencing all the rights and the privileges and even the duties of being home. And and, and so you need to not miss here that Jesus is painting a picture of a kid, a son who is at home. And that'll be important for you and I in a minute here. And yet... The crux of all of this is that Jesus will then go on in the next few verses to reveal in this story how the older son is nevertheless lost and separated from the father's heart of grace. That this older son does not understand or get the grace and the forgiveness that he shows the younger son. As we're going to see as we go along today, gang, what the older son had a problem with was the father's abiding relationality with his kid. (laughs) That's what's going to tick off this older brother, that this younger son gets grace and all that goes along with it. And this older son did not get it, let alone share it, this father's heart of grace, the core of what makes a father a father. And so what we don't want to miss is that the older son is under the same roof. He's in the field, he's going to the house, he's engaging with the servants, but he is separated from a key aspect of the father's heart, which is why I say this kid is lost while still at home. And the point is for you and me is that we too, in our relationship with the Lord, can be lost while still at home, right? 
I, I mean, the whole point of this story that Jesus is telling us here is to draw a parallel between the father and his sons, and the parallel is with us and our relationship with God as our father. So this whole story is to teach us about how God is and how we relate to him or don't relate to him as our father who is in heaven. And so when it tells us here about an older son who is lost while still at home, it simply means that you and I can likewise be ones who are in many ways home with God and yet far away from him and his heart of grace and his purposes for this world and our lives. Now, you guys are smart. You guys know what I'm talking about intellectually here. And I've been kind of walking you very slowly up to this point so that you can understand that it's possible to be lost while you're still at home. But let's get uh, more specific here and talk about what specifically do we mean in the 21st century as a follower of Jesus and that it's possible for us to be lost while still at home. And here's what I mean about it. You and me as followers of Jesus can be ones who on the outside do all the things expected of us as dutiful and obedient Christians. I want you to think of all the things that Christians do today to show and reveal that we're in the fold. I mean, we've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. We got our theology down pat. We regularly attend church. We attend small group or Bible study. We go to BSF. We serve God with our gifts and our passions. We're an usher, a leader, a small group leader, a board member. We give of our money and resources to Christian causes. We regularly have quiet times and devotions. We attend Christian conferences and evangelistic events. We share our faith with those around us, etc., etc., etc. As I've told you guys before, in our modern day world, the list is almost endless of the things that we Christians do, good things, to show that we're followers of Jesus. And yet what we need to see today is that in the midst of being dutiful, obedient, and in every way we know how, at home Christians, it's possible that on the inside, where things matter most, we're not connecting with God as our father on an intimate and personal level. That just like this older brother that was working the farm and doing all the right things, but had missed the father's heart of grace and was distant and not connected to him at the core of who the father is, it's very possible for you and I to be like that today. That the love and grace of God is really not shed abroad in our hearts. The spark is not fanned into a flame. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a closeness between us and God that once might have been there, but is not there anymore. We no longer get his heart of grace and how he responds to those who are messed up and even us daily in our lives. And, and the subtlety is, and this is why the older brother is such a powerful figure, the subtlety is, is that we didn't run away. We didn't engage in some hedonistic bash like other rebellious younger son believers that are around us. No, you and I have stayed faithful and true. We've stayed and worked on the farm. We've kept the home fires burning. We've made sure the crops are coming in. We've looked after the place. And yet what's subtle is that while doing all of this, something has happened in our heart. It's been a slow burn. <laughs> As Revelation would say, you've lost your first love. And over time, 
that distance grows greater when it comes to us and God. I said to you guys all along that I'm, I'm indebted to Nowen for a lot of these insights. And I, I, as you might know, this book is, is based upon not just Jesus' story, The Prodigal Son, but Rembrandt's famous painting depicting this scene. So you have the, the, the father here and the younger son obviously coming back and receiving grace. And then over here, this is the older brother. And it's, a, it's really amazing what, what Rembrandt did here. It's hard to see in the detail of this painting here, but there's actually a doorway here. There's a step down, and the older brother is not in the room here. He's actually standing in the doorway, which is very visual because he had been outside and refuses to come in. And as you're gazing at the older brother here, we're going to get a close-up on the uh, camera here. I want to read for you what Nowen says. He says, the lostness of the elder son is much harder to identify. After all, he did all the right things. He was obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, and hardworking. People respected him, admired him, praised him, and likely considered him a model son. Outwardly, the elder son was faultless. But when confronted by his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, a dark power erupts in him and boils to the surface. Suddenly, there becomes glaringly visible a resentfulness, a pride, an unkindness, a selfishness, one that he remained deeply hidden over the years, even though it had been growing stronger and more powerful. And then Nowen goes on to say, and I love this. He says, looking deeply into myself and then at those around me, I wonder what does more damage, the lust of the younger son or the resentment of the older son. He says, there is so much resentment among the just and the righteous today. There is so much judgment, condemnation, and prejudice among the saints and then he says, there is so much frozen anger among the people who are so concerned about avoiding sin. <laughs> See, that's you and me at times. It's possible to be lost while still at home. It's an attitude that we church folk have. It's a deficit in our relationship with God. And one that can slip in so easily over time and begin to choke out what was once a vibrant walk that we had with him. We're still at home. We're working the farm. We're attending church. We're doing all the outward things that we know that we need to do. But when we're honest, inside, something has happened over the years. And Jesus nails it. We've become the older son. And if you're struggling at all, as I do, of whether this is you, maybe currently in your life right now, Jesus goes on in this story to reveal precisely how the older son gives himself away here. I want you to look again at how Jesus tell this, tells this story. This time, look at the next three or four verses, because he reveals to us kind of the measuring stick, the barometer that we can use for our lives to tell if we're struggling with the older son or older daughter syndrome. He says, and he, the servant, said to him, the older son, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now here it is. But he became angry and he was not willing 
to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never even given me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. (laughs) Do you catch what's going on here? It's really classic. I mean, when you think about it from a human personality standpoint, as we've already established, this older son is doing his duty. He's working in the field. He's doing all the responsible things. By the way, good things to do. Don't give up on doing those things. But then as he comes to the house and he hears the music and the dancing and he asks the servant what's going on, the servant essentially says, your brother has come home. And can you believe it? Instead of shaming him and disciplining him, as we all would have expected, the father has shown him grace and favor, and he's throwing a huge party. And you can almost see the wheels turning, can't you? In this older brother, he's thinking, party? What the heck? He's thinking in his mind right now. And Jesus then says that this type of thinking immediately, now this is rich, affected his emotions and his will. Go back one slide here. It affected his emotions and will. Go back one slider. Thank you. And, uh, and it says he became angry. Anger is an emotion, right? And then it says he was not willing to go in. So that's an action of the will. And as this attitude and action increases, the father then comes out and with all gentleness and fatherly love tries to call the older son in to share the joy. And it's here that things go up to full throttle. It's here that the older son just lets it all out finally. He says, look, man, I've been slaving in the field. I've been absolutely faithful and obedient to you in everything that you have asked for. And do I get a party for all my work? No, that's not the point. I don't want one anyways. But when this son of yours, now that's an interesting phrase. He didn't say when my brother has come home. He says, but when the son of yours comes home. He says, you kill the fattened calf for him. Bottom line, folks, the mindset of the older son to the father is that you've shown grace and favor to someone who doesn't deserve it, which ironically, by the way, is what grace is, showing favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. But the son says, this totally ticks me off. And so let's put this all together because this is so important for you and me. Here's the acid test for you and me today. When we as responsible, hardworking, dutiful Christians see another brother or sister get a blessing, when we see them get grace in whatever form and something in us does not want to enter into that joy because deep down we're going, I should be getting that. At that moment, we are the older brother or sister. I promise you that. Do you rejoice and share in the joy or do you go down the road of comparison which leads to jealousy, which leads to anger that quickly turns into resentment and it robs you of any joy and it separates you from the God who loves you? And so here's the crux of it all, whether or not we can joyfully see another receive absolutely undeserved grace, because there is no other kind, especially when we feel we deserve it equally or more, is the test of whether or not we're struggling with the older brother syndrome. You know, I, uh, 
I, I mentioned earlier that in this series, I have been the younger son. Hey, by the way, thank God I'm not the younger son now, right? Because like if I was going off on binge parties, I couldn't be your pastor. So thank God that I am not the younger son anymore in my life. And, and as I said last week, I, I, I'm striving more and more to become the father. Um, but if I identify with anybody in this, in this series, it, it's, it's this guy, the older son. And it's almost hard for me to admit it because I, I feel shame for it and I really struggle with it in my life, but I've prayed about this and I, and, I, and I can share with you a few snippets, but it rears its ugly head more often than I would like. There, there are times that I'm uh, talking to other pastors, not in this church, but at other churches across the nation. And I know many people see Scottsdale Bible Church and, and what have you as, as, a, as a large successful church, but most people don't know the half of it. They don't know the daily battles we have, the things that we struggle with. They don't know how hard won some of our victories have been. And I don't mean in the flesh, I mean in the spirit. And there's times I'm talking to other pastors and they're telling me about all the wonderful things going on at their church. And I'm not entering into the joy. Because I think to myself, why do they seem to have it so easy? Why don't they have other pastors that are struggling with sin in their churches? Why don't they have things from the past that are rearing their ugly head? Why don't, why don't they seem to struggle with certain things that I struggle with? And I find myself not even wanting to hear about all the victories that they have. Let me ask you a question. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's not a good thing. It's an ugliness inside my soul. It's the older brother that's all insecure that's not settled as we're going to see in a minute and the trust and gratitude of who God is in my life. And I'm missing a part of him in that moment as I dig my heels in and refuse to share in the joy. And then it gets even worse. <laughs> I don't struggle with this as much anymore, but I can confess it to you. Over the last 10 years as I've seen my children enter into adulthood, I'm so incredibly proud of them in each of them in different ways. But, and I can't break any confidences here, but there have been times over the last 10 years where a couple of my kids have gone through some very, very dark periods as they've entered into adulthood and they have struggled greatly. And it's been very, very difficult on Kim and I. And I can remember one particular weekend about five or six, maybe seven, eight years ago when one of my kids was really struggling and I was talking to somebody here in the congregation and they shared with me, hey, you know, my kid just got into college and, you know, is going to Biola and, you know, he or she's doing really great and we're so proud of them, you know, and they're just walking with God and doing wonderful. And, and I remember thinking, you don't deserve that. I thought to myself, I have done a much better job of parenting my children than you have. I have played with them. I prioritize every sporting event. I've taught them about God. I've had them in church. I was not a legalist. I showed grace. And why is it that your kid seems on easy street and my kid's struggling for every breath right now? And you see, that can sound so self-righteous, can't it? But I look back on those times right now and I'm ashamed that I ever thought like that. It's not fair to that person. Quite frankly, it's probably not even true. It's judgmental. It robs me of sharing in their joy. It's a pity party on my own end. And here's the real kicker. I feel distant from God in those moments. Amen? See, the older brother never feels close to God. I do it with pastors. I've done it in my parenting. I even sometimes do it with just general Christians. 
People tell me things that they're doing in their spiritual lives, and I think, why do you seem to have it so easy? I struggle with certain things. You see, it's this comparison game. It's this jealousy, and it's ugly as ugly could be. And again, I'm not proud of this part of my spirit. Please don't hear me saying that. I'm the older son, and there are times as your pastor that I am lost while still at home, and I don't like that. And the only consolation I have, and I hope you can take this in the right light, is that many of you are lost as well while at home. Because I watch your lives and I watch the struggle that you have with your fallen nature and your flesh. And I know now why Jesus told the story. Because you too, in your language and in your actions, again, remember it's an emotion and it's part of our will. You give yourself away. I'm not condemning you, I'm joining you. That we at times all, I think, can relate to this older brother. And so once we own this, the only question that we need to ask is what will bring us back? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what does God want from us that'll pull us off that ledge that is so dangerous to be on? And here's the life-giving news, and that is that Jesus goes on right in this story to give us the answer. And so let's look one last time in this series at Jesus' story here and how the father responds to this resentful son and wraps up this whole thing because here is the life. It says, and he, the father, said to him, the son, my child, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and he's begun to live and he was lost and has been found. Three things really quickly I want you to notice here because it's so rich. We could do an entire sermon just on this. First, he says, my child. Interesting, the English translation here has it right. He didn't say, my son. He said, my child. In the Greek, it's a very endearing term. He's basically drawing his son close and saying, man, do I ever love you and feel compassion for you right now just like I do the younger son. Because when either of my kids are lost, I'm there. And then he says two things. He says, you have always been, say these two words with me, with me. Say it again, with me. That's interesting. You've always been with me. And then secondly, and all that is mine is yours. You've always been with me. What you don't want to miss here is that this is a call to trust. What is he trusting in? The son. He's to trust in the father's abiding presence. The fact that his father, even though he's lost while at home, has always and will always be with him. This is great news, gang, because some of you are afraid to admit that you're lost while still at home, even though your pastor has led the way there. But the reason you don't need to be afraid to admit it is that you're not going to hell for this. And that he's not going to kick you off the farm. He's not going to throw you out of the ring. He loves you. He longs to be in closer relationship with you. And so he wants you to own your attitude. Because when you do, he's going to say to you, here's the good news. You have always been with me. And I have always been with you. My presence, even though you haven't felt it very well, has never left you. And you need to trust that. You need to trust that even though you're lost, you're still at home. 
and I'm still in your life, and I'm still your Lord, I'm still your God, I'm still your Savior, I'm the same Holy Spirit that inhabits you, trust in me who is still with you. And the reason that trust is so important, gang, now watch this, is that when one is trusting, it's impossible to also be jealous at the same time. Think about it. It's like a good marriage. Some of you deal with marriage, jealousy in your marriage. Here's the problem, is that you can't trust and be jealous at the same time. So if you trusted your spouse, you would not be jealous of your spouse. We all know that. That's the key to getting over jealousy, trust. And so the fact that you are jealous of other believers that get grace, God says, I got an antidote for that. Start trusting me again. And trust in my presence and my goodness and my grace that is with you. Trust in Jesus who has forgiven you. You see, trust breeds security. It reminds us that grace has already been given to us. We just don't see it right now. And that we have no reason to be jealous. And then Jesus also says there that all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours you see, now we're not dealing with trust. Watch this. Now we're dealing with gratitude. The father is essentially saying to the older son, here's what you don't get, kid. You are already really blessed. Everything that's mine is yours. It's already in your wheelhouse, but you're so focused on the younger son, you don't see the blessings and the grace that I've already shown you. And yeah, the grace that I'm showing you is different than the younger son. That's what we all whine about. Eric's got a different grace than I do. You got a different grace than I do. Tom's blessed differently than I am. But he says, stop focusing on that and focus on you and your father because he has blessed you. He has given you grace. And be grateful that all that is his, all that, yeah, all that is his is also yours. You see, you and I, even on our worst day, can be grateful because look at what uh, Ephesians 1.3 would say. Just listen to this, this. It says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. <laughs> Try to figure that one out. Even on your worst day, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As James would say, all good and perfect gifts are from above. So think about this. You have specific talents. You have gifts. You have friends. You have family. You have a unique personality. You have some material blessings. Most of you, you're here today, so you have some health. And so all of those things, the Bible says, every perfect and good gift is from above. Those are blessings that you have from God. And if all of that fails, because I know how some of you think, you're very wily. Some of you are here today going, yeah, well, I don't have all that much on those things you just listed. I mean, I don't have good health, and I'm, and I'm poor, and I don't have any money, and I don't have anybody around me, and I don't feel my personality is all that unique. Okay, let's give you all that as true, okay? If all that is true, here's what you need to know if you're a follower of Jesus, and that is that redemption alone is your greatest blessing. What do I mean by that? I simply mean, and maybe some of you don't see it like this, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, then every one of your sins, past, present, and future, has been forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus and your faith in him, and now heaven, not the other place, awaits you when you die. So the fact that you now have redemption in Jesus, man, you wake up having an edge on life every day because God is in the house, God is in your life. And the absolute power of gratitude, just like trust dissipates jealousy, here's the power of gratitude. Gratitude dissipates resentment. In other words, you can't be, uh, be uh, grateful and resentful at the same time. You really can't try it sometime. 
The two don't exist together in your soul. So the more you incorporate gratitude in your walk with God, the more or less you will be resentful in your life. And gratitude is a choice. Trust and gratitude. These are Jesus' prescriptions when we struggle with the older brother syndrome. And watch this. They will help us be found while we're still at home. You can be found while at home. So here's my closing question for you. And with this, we're going to go into our extended time of worship. What's it going to be for you? See, my great fear for Scottsdale Bible, because we are an older established church, is that most of us, I said this to my friend Corey this morning, most of us are going to struggle more with the older brother syndrome than the younger brother syndrome. And that makes sense. I'm glad that the vast majority of you are not going on benders and off the deep end and going to rave parties and all the things that the younger brothers do. I'm glad you're not doing that. Praise God. But your vulnerability is to be the older brother. And without being too judgmental or cynical, because I repented of my cynicism last week, remember that? So without being too much like that, my wisdom says that we have a lot of people in this church that are very vulnerable to being the older brother. And so today is a great day to repent of that. Today is a great day as we enter into worship now to confess that to God. And to say, God, this is me. Man, I don't like it, but it's me. And to lay yourself out, present yourself to him in this worship. And then as you do that, remember two things, trust and gratitude. Trust him for who he is in your life and his grip on your life. You're still at home. And then be grateful for what you do have, most importantly, that you're saved and that even if you died tomorrow, man, you're going to be smiling on the other side. And that's worth getting up every morning and celebrating. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing story of Jesus's. And God, if I don't miss my guess, there are plenty of us who struggle with being the older brother or the older sister in our lives. In, the, in our lives. And I pray, God, that today would be a day that the light goes on in our head that the, the light reveals what's in our heart and that, God, we are not afraid to repent, to look to you, to own what's happening, to ask for a renewed sense of your grace through trust and gratitude. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.